Nothing but the blood. The powerful blood. Well, I'm uh, back from a mission trip. Uh, 35 of us went to Eastern Kentucky uh, this last week. Came back Friday, and they represented this church well. And more importantly, they represented our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ well. And I want to I give you an example of that. Um, they sent a lady from Pennsylvania wanted to do a mission trip. So she got with the Christian Appalachian Project and joined our team. None of us knew her. She just, they just assigned her with our group so she could be on a mission trip, I guess. So uh, we baptized her on Thursday. So that's one of the coolest things I've ever been. She just comes and thinks she's going to hang out and do some work on some handicap ramp somewhere. And she encountered the Holy Spirit. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Grow up, work hard, beware of false teachers. He's coming. I have, for the last three weeks and today, I will simply read Second Peter. And what you do with that will be up to you. But be careful when you encounter the Holy Spirit. Last week we talked about false teachers, and that's where I'm going to connect the dots today. False teachers, false prophets, they're, they're coming to tell lies. That's what Peter reveals in this letter. They're coming to tell lies about the one that's coming in truth. There's a liar that tells lies about the one who's coming in truth. They are all around us even now. I went into great detail about that last week. And they're, they're false teachers and they're false teachers, false prophets, because they refuse to acknowledge the truth. This is truth. And the reality is some of you in this room, you're struggling with it. And maybe you don't know you're struggling with it. But this is truth. What I hold in my hand is the only physical source of absolute truth on this planet. And, and you're going to have to deal with that issue. These false teachers operate under the spirit of Antichrist, which has been around since the time of Christ. You don't read the Old Testament and hear about the spirit of Antichrist. It's not there. I mean, Satan's working in the Old Testament, but it's it's not the spirit of Antichrist until the Christ comes and something needs to be against him. Well, here comes Christ, and now the, the opposing power against Christ, the spirit of Antichrist, works against the spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit. The Apostle John, I'm not talking about Peter, not yet, I'm going to set this up. The Apostle John reveals this fact in a letter, that there's a liar that will operate under the, a spirit. The liar, all of it goes back to Satan. But Satan operates under the spirit of Antichrist, and the Apostle John gives us great detail. It's 1 John 2, verse 18. We'll start there. Dear children, the last hour is here. Now, now why would he say the last hour? Because 
I told you earlier that the spirit of Antichrist didn't operate in the Old Testament, not as defined by the spirit of Antichrist. But when the spirit of Antichrist against Christ comes, John says this is the last hour. This, this is the, these are the last days. The last hour is here. You've heard that the Antichrist, now in that word, he's talking about the individual that will come. I'll deal with that later this morning. You've heard that the Antichrist is coming, but already many such Antichrists, the plural word, many such Antichrists have already appeared. There, there's a spirit that's operating against Messiah, against Christ, Jesus. And they're liars. Many such antichrists have appeared. From this appearance of many such antichrists, we know that the last hour has come. So that means that we're in a countdown. Are, are you with me? We're in a countdown to a, an event that all creation is groaning for. An event. And it's kind of where we are today. A countdown. These people, these operating under the spirit of the Antichrist, left our churches. Isn't that interesting? But they never really belonged with us. Otherwise, they would have stayed with us. That They left the churches. Because truth and the lie can't hang out together. When they left, it proved they did not belong with us. But you're not like that. Well, what's the difference? For the Holy One has given you His Spirit. And all of you, because the Holy One gave you His Spirit, you know what? Say it out loud. You know the truth. So I'm writing to you not because you don't know the truth, but because you know the difference between truth and the lies. How do you know the difference between truth and the lies? The Holy Spirit. How, who's the liar? Those who operate under the spirit of Antichrist. And by the way, there's only two spirits. So if you think you're, well, I'm not in either one of those camps, then you're already in the spirit of Antichrist camp because you don't understand. And who is the liar? Verse 22. Who is this liar that operates under the spirit of Antichrist? Anyone who says that Jesus is not the Christ. Anyone who denies the Father and the Son is an antichrist. You're against. Jesus says, if you're not for me, you're against me. Anyone who denies the Son doesn't have the Father. Doesn't have the Father either. But anyone who acknowledges the Son has the Father. Last week I told you that, that John... The Apostle John, Jesus says, write this down, John. He comes uh, while he's a prisoner, and he says, write this down, a letter to the church at Philadelphia. And, and write to the church at Philadelphia, because you have not denied my name and my word. My name and my word. My name and my word. These two things the spirit of Antichrist wants you to let go of. The name, the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the chosen one. And the word, that which reveals the Messiahship of Christ. Because you have not denied my name and my word, I will protect you from the great time of testing that's going to come upon the whole world. Because you held on, you persevered, you hung on to my name and my word. What's the spirit of Antichrist after? The name and the word. How's he doing it? He's doing it right now in the church. 
church after church after church is surrendering the deity of Christ by surrendering the Word of God. False teachers that are under the influence and control of the spirit of Antichrist, Satan himself. And I say that, and I look at this audience, and I ask you a question. Do you believe this stuff? Come on. Do you believe this stuff? Do you believe when you read this this uh, first John chapter two, and you read this second letter from the apostle Peter, do you believe this stuff? Do you accept the witness testimony of these two guys? 2000 year old witness testimony of Paul, John, Peter, any of these apostles. Well, there's another one. His name's Jude. In Jude, he talks about the fact that this uh, false teaching has a way of getting inside the church. Jude 1 verse 3. Dear friends, I had eagerly, I'd been eagerly planning to write to you about the salvation we all share. But now I must write about something else. He, he's wanting to talk about saving the salvation that saves us, but but Something's happening inside the church that he's got to address first. Here we go. But I must write about something else, urging you to defend the faith that God has entrusted once for all time to his holy people. Why do, I, why does, why do we need to defend the faith? Why do we need to defend the faith? Why do we need to grow up and work hard? Because there's false teachers. Here we go. I say this because some ungodly people, false teachers under the spirit of Antichrist, have wormed their way into your churches. Huh? What would a false teacher in the church say? Saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. God's grace, what would an Antichrist false teacher say? That grace means you can do whatever you want to. Well, isn't that fun? Wouldn't that be nice? I can just do whatever I want to. That's called grace. That's why it's amazing. <laughs> the condemnation of such people was recorded long ago. For they have, what, what does it mean when you say grace allows you to do anything you want to? You have fallen for the original sin. You can become God. You can be your own God. You can choose good and evil yourself. You can choose right and wrong yourself. You're not accountable to anyone. Their condemnation was recorded long ago for they, by doing that, they have denied our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. They've denied his authority, the word. These false teachers deny the true identity of Christ and they try to redefine God's grace as a license to live a life of rebellion and sin. And by their very nature, and what is their nature? They operate under the spirit of Antichrist. They deny the truth that could have saved them. Remember, all these false teachers are under the power and the spirit of the Antichrist. But one day, listen, but one day the Bible says the Antichrist himself will come. Are you ready? That one day, not the spirit of Antichrist, where it's just a spirit that's moving around people in churches, out of churches. 
One day the Antichrist himself will come in the flesh. And notice how Paul describes him and his work. So the spirit of Antichrist has been around since Jesus, the death, burial, resurrection. But one day, one day, the person Antichrist, an individual, a man inhabited by Satan, the spirit of Satan will enter inside a man. Are, are you with me? The spirit of Satan will enter inside a man. He will be called Antichrist. Here's what Paul says, 2 Thessalonians 2, 9. This man, he's a man that has the spirit, man of lawlessness, the spirit of Antichrist is in him. This man will come to do the work of Satan with counterfeit power, counterfeit signs, counterfeit miracles. He will use every kind of evil deception to fool those on their way to destruction. Destruction. He is bringing destruction to himself and to those who follow him. What is the root of the destruction? They refuse to love and accept the truth that would have saved them. They refuse to love and accept this, the truth that would have saved them. So God will cause them to be greatly deceived and they'll believe the lies that the spirit of Antichrist is putting on the earth. And then they'll be, you ready? Condemned. That is destruction. Condemnation. God condemns you. Then they'll be condemned. Why? Why, why would God condemn them? For enjoying evil rather than believing the truth. There is a spirit of Antichrist and a spirit of Christ. There is a Holy Spirit and an unholy spirit. Now listen, I've gone through all of that so that I can open up the final chapter of 2 Peter. Grow up, work hard, beware false teachers because they're going to lead you into a great destruction. Guess what Peter's final words are about in this last chapter? He's coming. Do you believe this stuff? When I preach a sermon like this, I just can't help but ask, do you believe this stuff? Have you accepted the truth about the fact that one day, if, if, there are, if we're in the last days, and we know we're in the last days because the spirit of Antichrist has been released upon the earth, do you know that if there's a last days, there's got to be a last day? Do you know what happens on the last day? Grow up, work hard, beware of false teachers. Why? Because he's coming. All creation is pointing to a single event. To a single event. It's all pointing to one event. He's coming. The king is coming. Let's see if you believe this witness testimony of the apostle Peter today. I'm opening up the final chapter of 2 Peter. I'm just reading to you the truth. This is my second letter to you, dear friends. And in both of them, I have tried to stimulate your wholesome thinking and refresh your memory. I want you to remember what the holy prophets said long ago. Now, what does that just mean? I want you to remember, Peter writes, I want you to remember what the holy prophets said long ago. Can I translate? I want you to remember what the Old Testament says. Are you with me? I want you to remember, do not forget the Old Testament prophets. So while you're reading the New Testament, don't disregard the Old. So, I want you to remember what the Holy Prophet said long ago. Now, that's one. 
Look at number two. And what our Lord and Savior commanded through your apostles, through the apostles. Well, that'd be remember the Old Testament, and for us, it'd be remember the New Testament, the teachings of Christ, the Gospels, and the letters which is from the apostles. I want you to remember so that you don't forget the Old Testament, the New Testament, the Holy Spirit has been revealing the Old Testament and the New Testament to the world for 2,000 years. Through who? Through the church. Revealing what? The, the summation of the Old Testament and the summation of the New Testament is revealing what? He's coming. Next verse, verse 3. Most importantly, Peter says, most important, most importantly, isn't that interesting? Most importantly, that's like me saying, pay attention. Most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers are going to come. And what would a scoffer do in the last days? He will mock the truth. Mocking the truth, and by mocking the truth, he says, you don't have to follow this for your life. You can follow your own desires. Remember that original sin? You can be God. Do what you want to do. Scoffers and false teachers are coming, Peter says, denying the truth, mocking the truth. Under what power? The power and the spirit of Antichrist. These mockers, scoffers, and liars live for themselves. They follow their own evil desire, or so they think. They think they're following their own evil desire, but they have no clue that they're actually following the spirit of Antichrist. They just don't know it. What are they mocking? This is the, really the big point of this final letter. What are they mocking? What are they scoffing? What are they lying about? What, what are they trying to keep under wraps or keep you from finding out? What, are, what is it? He's coming. They're pretty good at it. He's coming. The average church person today, I don't think the average church person is expecting him, but he's coming. Next verse, verse 4. They, who's they? Mockers and scoffers in the last days. Mockers, scoffers, spirit of Antichrist. Last days. Are you with me? Mocker, he wrote it in advance so that when it happened, you would see it. Mockers, scoffers, under the spirit of Antichrist in the last days will say what? What happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? I'm going to put it in a more contemporary term. Where's that Jesus you've been talking about? You talk, you've been preaching at that church for 21 years, and all 21 years you've been saying, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming. Where's that Jesus you've been talking about? Mockers, scoffers, last days, spirit of Antichrist. He told us in advance this would happen. How amazing is that? Because it's happening. This happens it happens, it happens here. It happens everywhere. What happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? From before the times of our ancestors, here's their justification of that statement. Where's your Jesus? Because before the time of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. Everything's always been this way, preacher. So why do you think now is the time that we should watch for his coming? 
Now that's Peter, okay? The apostle John told us this is how you can know that we're in the last days. This is how you know. These liars, these false teachers couldn't lie about the return of Christ until he was here the first time. So when they say, where's his second coming? They don't even know it. They're actually acknowledging that he was here once already. Because you can't come a second time unless you've been here the first time. Can you hear their lies? What happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? Nothing has changed, preacher. Why do you keep preaching this message, Church of Jesus Christ, under the power of the Holy Spirit? Why do you keep saying that one day the King is coming? Because things have always been the same. I hear church people say that to me all the time. I can talk about the return of Christ and try to present an urgency to prepare for the return of Christ. And here's the common line from church people, common line church people. Preacher, they've been talking about that since I was a kid. My grandfather talked about that. So what makes anything today any different than when my grandfather shouted the same thing you did? Let me answer that question specifically. I want to respond to the mockers and the scoffers. Maybe you're one of them today. I feel like these scoffers have even gotten to the church, so I'm talking to church people today. Yes, many things are the same as when my predecessors shouted, Jesus is coming soon. Many things are the same, and things have been the same for a long time regarding the return of Christ. But there is one thing different, and it's big. And everybody can see it if you have eyes to see, and you can hear it if you have ears to hear, and you can believe it if you have a heart that can receive, believe, and obey God by the power of the Spirit. I have often said that I can, I believe, maybe you don't believe me, I believe I can prove to you the existence of God and reveal to you God's plan for the earth with one word. One word. And it's not Jesus, even though that would work too, but stay with me. I can prove to you the existence of God and the revelation of God's plan to redeem the world with, world with one word. Israel. Israel. So when your mockers and the scoffers say, where's this Jesus you've been talking about? Because he's not here. Surely he'd be here by now. And things have always been the way they are, but you'd be wrong. Israel is different. Jerusalem is different today. I'm talking about right now. They are not the same as they have been since the time of Christ 2,000 years ago. Something has changed in our generation. If I were preaching in 1940, and I was not, I'm not that old, I would have a very different perspective on this topic today, I think. But I'm not preaching in 1940, am I? And something has changed, something big, something prophetic. The people who live by the truth, the people who live by the Holy Spirit, Today, listen, today, you will be able to see it, but the false teachers will try to deny it. But it is undeniable what I'm about to tell you today. Because it's truth. You don't have to receive it, but it cannot be denied because it is truth. God's Word 
has announced a series of events in advance. I'm going to show you some of them. I have no way to have time to show you all of them. But here's the main point. The return of Christ according to the prophetic word of God. Remember what Peter said? I read it a moment ago. I should have made a bigger deal out of it. Peter said, don't forget what the holy prophets wrote. Why did he put that in chapter 3 of his letter? Because he knew that you would forget what the prophets said about the coming of Christ. What's in the Old Testament reveals in advance a series of events that will take place before Jesus comes. The return of Christ requires, are you ready? Israel to be regathered. Do you know that? Do you know that's in here? That before Jesus would come back to the earth, Israel would have to be regathered. The return of Christ requires the Jews to be back in the land, not just back in the land specifically, but back in Jerusalem specifically. Do you know that's in here? That's why Peter said, above all, don't forget what the prophets said. Because the prophets revealed it in advance so that you would know when you see these things happening that the time is at hand. But you would have to know the prophecy, wouldn't you? You'd have to know the Old Testament. Israel has been back in the land as a people since 1948. I wasn't alive in 1948, but they've been back in Jerusalem since 1967. I was alive in 1967. So when I say there are events in our generation, in my generation, that point to the soon return of Christ, you're not going to be able to say, preacher, that's been like that since I was a kid. No, it hasn't. Something happened. Something has changed the whole earth. A nation that was, has been gone for over 2,000 years, a people that had been scattered all over the earth for over 2,000 years, suddenly appear in a land that nobody wanted them to be in and suddenly became a nation again after 2,000 years of being gone. Something that God alone could do. It was prophesied. Even before the first coming of Christ, it was prophesied that Israel would be scattered, and they were. In 70 AD, Israel was scattered. The nation was gone. They're gone. They're gone. There's nobody left. The, most of them died. The ones that lived were scattered across the four corners of the earth. There was no Israel. There was no Jewish state. They were gone. It was prophesied before the time of Jesus' first coming. I want to show it to you. In Jeremiah 16, verse 14. Old Testament, Old Testament, Peter said, don't forget what the prophets wrote. But the time is coming, says the Lord, when people who are taking an oath will no longer say, as surely as the Lord lives who rescued the people of Israel from the land of Egypt, instead they will say, what's this new thing? What's bigger than that? Instead, they will say, as surely as the Lord lives who brought the people of Israel back to their own land from the land of the north and from the countries to which they had, he had exiled them, for I will bring them back 
to the land that I gave their ancestors. This same passage is repeated again exactly in Jeremiah chapter 23. The reason this is such an important prophecy, specifically relating to the last days, is this. The Jews considered their deliverance from Egypt, the time of Moses, when one man walks into Pharaoh and says, let my people go, and he leaves Egypt with two million Jews. They consider that to be the biggest event in Jewish history. And yet Jeremiah, before the time of Christ, prophesies in the future there will be an event bigger than that. And the event bigger than your deliverance from Egypt will be your regathering from the four corners of the earth when I will put you back in the promised land. It'll be bigger, bigger than the first time. The prophet Isaiah reveals this about the regathering event. He also does it in the Old Testament. Peter says, don't forget what the prophets wrote. Isaiah 11 verse 10, in that day, ready? The heir to David's throne. If you've been coming to Nineveh very long and you don't know who that is, you've been asleep. In that day, a future day, the heir to David's throne will be a banner of salvation to the entire world. The nations, notice he's talking about all the earth, will gather to him. And the land where he lives will be a glorious place. So there's going to be somebody from David's throne, uh, the heir to David's throne, living on the earth, and all the nations are going to go to him? Hmm, that hasn't ever happened. In that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time. To bring back the remnant of his people. We're talking about the Jewish people. Those who remain in Assyria and northern Egypt and southern Egypt and Ethiopia and Elam and in Babylonia and Hamath and the distant coastlands. He will, listen, I love this part. He will raise a flag. God's going to raise a flag. Among the nations, God's going to raise a flag and assemble the exiles of Israel. He will gather the scattered people of Judah from the ends of the earth. He's going to bring them back. He's going to raise a flag. In 1948, he did it. Here's what he raised. Here's the picture of that flag. That one. You know what that is? It's the Star of David. The Bible says the heir to David's throne will come. It'll be a glorious place. All the nations will come to him, and God will raise a flag in the midst of the nations. I have that flag hanging on my wall in my office so that I will never forget what the Old Testament prophets wrote. 1948, it happened. So if you look at me, I'd advise you not to use this line. Things have always been like that preacher. Why do you think it's different now? The first thing I'm going to tell you is in 1948, God began to fulfill the Old Testament prophecies. For 2,000 years, there's no Israel, there's no flag. And the Star of David began to fly in Tel Aviv in May of 1948. Jeremiah, Isaiah, I've read to you two, now my favorite one today. 
His name is Ezekiel. Oh, Ezekiel. God called Ezekiel son of man. I'll have to use another day to talk about that topic. But he called Ezekiel the son of man. And he comes to Ezekiel one day and he says, Ezekiel, he gives him this vision of this valley of dry bones. And Ezekiel looks out and as far as he can see, he sees skeletons. That's what I would call them. They're just dried up bones, human bones as far as he can see. And God looks at Ezekiel and he says to Ezekiel, Ezekiel, can these bones live? And Ezekiel says, I don't know. I don't know. You alone, Lord, know if these bones can live. I don't know. Now, before I read it, what's Peter saying? And I'm reading to you 2 Peter in this series. What's Peter say? Never forget what the Old Testament prophets said. So Ezekiel's an Old Testament prophet. Here we go. Ezekiel 37 verse 11. Now, he's looking at this valley of dry bones. And then God said to me, Ezekiel, son of man, these bones represent what? The people of Israel, the Jewish people. No, no, no misunderstanding here what we're talking about when we're talking about these dry bones, right? These bones represent the people of Israel. They are saying, we have become old and dry bones. All hope is gone. Our nation, Israel, we're finished. Therefore prophesy to these bones, Ezekiel, I will open your graves of exile. Okay? They've been, there's a future time when you will be scattered. That happened in 70 AD. I will open your graves of exile and cause you to rise again. And I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Hmm. And when this happens, all my people something will happen. And when you start to see the dry bones rattling, and when I bring you back to the land of Israel, you will what? You will know that I am the Lord, because nobody else could do this. I will put my spirit in you, and you will live again, and you will return to your own land. And then, you will surely know that I, the Lord, have spoken, and I have done what I said. Yes, the Lord has spoken. You know, this is being fulfilled in your generation. Do you know that? Does the church know that? Let's go down to verse 21. And give them this message from the sovereign Lord. I will gather the people of Israel from among the nations. In our generation, this is happening. And I will bring them home to their own land from places where they have been scattered. In our generation, this is happening. I will unify them into one nation on the mountain of Israel. One king will rule them all. No longer will they be divided into two nations. Remember Israel and Judah, northern, southern. No, no, no. There'll be one nation. One nation. Not two kingdoms, one nation. They will never again pollute themselves with their idols and vile images and rebellion. For I will save them from their sinful backsliding. I will cleanse them. They, then they will truly be my people and I will be their God. And you ready? Here comes my servant David will be their king. Huh? 
And they will have only one shepherd and they will obey my regulations and be careful to keep my decrees. And they will live in the land I gave my servant Jacob. That's the promised land. The land where their ancestors lived. And they will be, and they and their children and their grandchildren after them will live there. How long? How long? Forever. Whoa, we're talking about something longer than just human people living human lives in a human place. Generation after generation, here it comes again, and my servant David will be their prince forever. Huh? And I will make a covenant of peace with them, an everlasting covenant, and I will give them their land and increase their numbers, and I... If, if nothing's got your attention yet, and I will what? I will put my temple among them, how long? Forever. You see why they needed Jerusalem? I will make my home among them. He's coming. Anybody listening? He's coming. And I will make my home among them. Peter said, don't you forget what? The prophets of the Old Testament said, and I will be their God and they will be my people. And when my temple is among them forever, the nations will know that I am the Lord who makes Israel holy. Do you realize that the prophet Ezekiel lived some 500 years after King David died? Do you know how crazy it would be to listen to Ezekiel talk about David being the king in Jerusalem when David's been dead for 500 years? How's that going to work? Israel, Ezekiel knew something about this resurrection thing, didn't he? Surely Ezekiel knew something about the resurrection of the dead. Some scoffers, let me clarify something for you Bible scholars in the audience. Some scoffers will say that's Old Testament, that was fulfilled after 70 years of Babylonian exile. When the Jews returned from exile, you got one big problem with that ideology. The temple that would be built would be forever. And the temple that they built when they returned from 70 years of Babylonian exile was torn down. It did not last forever and the king did not come and live in that temple. Because when he does, no one will make him leave. Because he will be the King of kings and Lord of lords. So no, it has not yet been fulfilled. But listen, in our generation, they are re being regathered. Jesus himself has announced it for those who have ears to hear. This is what Jesus said. I'm going to read. It's recorded in Matthew and it's also recorded in Luke. As he entered Jerusalem on Palm Sunday on his way to the cross, here's what he says, Matthew 23. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings, but you wouldn't let me. Now, I, I got to pause for a moment. I want you to visualize this thing. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. He knows he's going to die on Friday on the cross. And he says, oh, you people, how I wanted to take you, raise my wing and have you brought underneath and cover you, protect you under my shelter. But you wouldn't let me. And I'm saying the same thing is happening to the church today. He wants to draw us under the feathers of his wings, but you resist him because you have already forgotten what the Old Testament prophets have said. 
He's coming. The spirit of Antichrist will try to deceive you so that you're not ready for that coming. But you wouldn't let me, verse 38, and now look, now look, because you wouldn't let me gather you, because you wouldn't let me bring you up close to me. Now you will be left, what? Your house is abandoned and desolate. You know what that means? I will scatter you across the earth. None of you will be left here. Your house is abandoned. Why? Because you wouldn't let me bring you next to me. Your house is abandoned and desolate. For I'll tell you this. He did scatter them in 70 AD. 70 AD, everything collapsed. The temple is burned. It's set on fire. The few that are left alive, they're scattered to the four. They run for their lives. Some are carried away as slaves. Others just flee to get away from the Romans who are trying to kill them. Abandoned, desolate, scattered. The Jews call it the dysphoria, the great scattering of the Jewish people around the world. Verse 39. Ready? For I tell you this. Jesus prophesies. You will never see me again. You wouldn't let me gather you. You will never see me again until. He doesn't say you'll never see me again. He says you'll never see me again until you say blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Now in Hebrew, it's Baruch Abba Adonai. So I want you to get this. Jesus makes a prophecy in this scene on Palm Sunday before before he dies on the cross. You're never going to see. He's in Jerusalem talking to the Jewish people. He's saying, he doesn't say, you'll never see me in Jerusalem talking to the Jewish people again. No, 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 no. That's not what he said. He says, the next time you see me, you'll not see me again until the Jews are in Jerusalem and the Jews see me coming saying, Baruch Abba Adonai. That's what's going to happen. He's prophesying the next time he comes to Jerusalem they will say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They see him from Jerusalem, the Jewish people. Something in our generation has changed. In our day, something has changed. It's been 73 years since that regathering began and the flag of Israel was raised in Tel Aviv. You know, they raised that flag originally in Tel Aviv because Jerusalem was under Jordan control. They couldn't raise the flag in Jerusalem because they didn't have Jerusalem. Jordan, the king of Jordan had Jordan. Their Jewish population in 73 years, are you ready? In 73 years, the Jewish population in Israel has grown from 700,000 to over 7 million. Who's doing it? 700,000 to 7 million. Who's doing it? And why are they coming back from all over the world? They are returning from all over the world. I'm asking you today, do you have eyes to see? Do you have ears to hear? Now, after all of that, let's read Peter's warning. And the most important thing Peter says to not forget. In his letter, 
He says, the most important thing to not forget is what? And no, I need to say this before I read that last part. Everything today is not as it has always been. So if that's your line, you're wrong. You're under the spirit of Antichrist. Something is different. Something is happening. God is fulfilling biblical prophecy in your generation. We live in a supernatural time where the Bible is coming to life and what's happening prophesied in Ezekiel. Anybody hear any dry bones rattling? So what's most important? Let's go back. I want to repeat verses 3 through 7. Most importantly, Peter says, I want to remind you that in the last day, scoffers will come mocking the truth and following their own desires. They will say, what happened to this promise that Jesus is coming again? From before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. And they deliberately forget. You know what that means? You forget on purpose. They deliberately forget that God made the heavens by the word of his command. And he brought the earth out of the water and surrounded it with water. And then they used the water to destroy the ancient world. He used the water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. And by the same word, by the same word that brought the flood in the time of Noah, by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. They are being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people are going to be destroyed. These false teachers and mockers will deny and lie about four things. And I want you to evaluate the four things to see if our generation is a revelation of this scripture. Four things they will mock. I'm not writing them. I'm, I'm not telling you. I'm just reading to you Second Peter. Four things. Number one, they will mock and scoff Jesus' return to the earth. Is it happening? I got people in the church that mock it. Terry, you talk too much about the return of Jesus. What else would I want to talk about? What do you want to talk about? Number two, the creation of everything by God in the beginning. Is it being mocked? Yes. Yes. In fact, some of you are falling for it. Some of you are falling for it, that God created, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Some of you are falling for the idea that in the beginning there were stars that collided and man slithered out of some pool, cesspool of something and stood up and said, hello. <laughs> and some people are falling for it. The mockers and the scoffers will deny, one, that he's coming. Number two, that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Is this real? Peter prophesied this 2,000 years ago. Number three, the flood of Noah. How many people in churches? Maybe I'm talking to you today. Right now, today, you don't believe that God destroyed the earth in a great flood. If you go to the creation museum, no, it's the ark. If you go to the ark, there's this picture of a serpent slithering. And on the, he says, if I can get them to to not believe the flood, then I can get them to not believe the coming judgment. If he can trick you, if the spirit of Antichrist can get you to reject that God judged the world once, maybe he can get you to believe that he'll not do it again.
but he's going to. Is it happening in our day? How many institutions of higher learning believe that there was a great flood on the earth in the time of Noah? Number four, by the same word that announced the flood, by the same word that created the heavens and the earth, and by the same word that announced Jesus as Messiah, by the same word, another judgment is coming. This one will be fire. It won't be water. It'll be even larger than the one of Noah's day in which ungodly people are going to be destroyed. But they don't believe it. They mock it. They scoff at it. Oh, it's not going to happen. That's just preacher talk. So I'm asking everybody a question today. Do you believe this stuff? Or have you been listening to the scoffers and the false teachers grow up, work hard, Beware false teachers. Why? Because he's coming. I know 2,000 years seems like a long time for us. I get it. But it's not a long time for God. It's a long time for us. Yeah, it is. And I thought he'd be here by now. I, I really did. But it's not a long time for God. Next verse. Next verse. Verse 8. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord. And a thousand years is like a day. If that scripture is literal to God, how long has it been since Jesus died on the cross? Two days. Now, I get it. For us, it seems like 2,000 years. For him, two days. Verse 9. The Lord isn't really being slow. He's not slow about keeping his promise. As some people think, no, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to what? Say it out loud. He wants us to repent. The very thing that God wants this generation to do is the very thing that the church doesn't want to talk about. Repent. Is it crazy? Is it crazy? Is the spirit of Antichrist real? How many preachers will preach about repentance? But he says, I'm not slow in keeping my promise. I don't want anybody to perish. I'm giving you time to do the one thing, and the one thing you don't want to do is what I'm giving you time to do. Repent! If 70 years, listen, I'm just using this as an example. If 70 years is one generation of man, it's been 28, about 28 generations since Jesus died and ascended to the Father. That means 28 family units have come and gone since the cross. Maybe that's easier to process than 2,000 years. 28 groups of people have come and gone. 28 groups of people have come and gone. 28 groups of people. And here we are. We're on the end of that 28. We're on the end of that 28. And, but now, you know what? We've got something those other groups didn't get. In our generation, Israel's been regathered. In our generation, the Jewish flag, the Star of David flies in Jerusalem. He's not slow. He is patient to a point. He's coming. 
and destruction is coming with him. Is anybody listening to me? He's coming and destruction's coming. If you read the scripture, it's clear. He's coming and destruction will follow him. That's the promise of God to false teachers and those who follow false teachers. Destruction is coming. We live right now in God's wait a minute moment. That's what I call this generation. We're in God's wait a minute moment. We're a time of grace where people can hear, believe, repent, and find forgiveness through the blood of Christ. But that final day will come suddenly. And when it comes, it'll be too late when it arrives. Next verse, next verse. I'm just going through 2 Peter. Next verse, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire. And the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Now, I'm going to tell you, I am so happy that the Apostle Paul, and I'm talking about a different text, told us that Jesus wasn't going to sneak up on believers. You know, and I, I, I get great joy in the idea that he's not, he's not lurching down and he's going to sneak up on us. We will know something is coming. We'll know that heaven's coming. We'll know that he's coming. Now, we're not, we won't know the day and we won't know the hour. Jesus has made that clear. We won't know the day and the hour. The angels don't know. He, Jesus said even himself, he doesn't know. Only the Father knows the day and the hour. But he says that we will know something's coming. We'll see the signs. We'll know the Old Testament scriptures. Listen, when a believer in the Word of God sees Israel regathered, you're going to know that something's about to take place. Next verse. 1 Thessalonians 5.1. Now concerning how and when. How and when. We're talking about the return of Christ. All this will happen, dear brothers and sisters. We don't really need to write to you. For you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly, like a thief in the night. Now, if I just stop there, it sounds like he's going to sneak up on people, right? Concerning the how and when, I don't need to write to you that he's going to come like a thief in the night. That's sneaking up on somebody. When people are saying everything is peaceful and secure, and then disaster will fall on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin. And at that point, there is no escape, Right? But that's, that's not the part that encouraged me. This one is. Verse 4. But you aren't in the dark about these things. You aren't in. You're not going to. He's not going to sneak up on you. You're not in the dark about these things. Dear brothers and sisters. You won't be surprised. When the day of the Lord comes like a thief. Why? For you are all children of the light. And of the day. We don't belong to the darkness or the night, so be on your guard, not asleep like the others. Stay alert and clear-headed. Night is the time when people sleep and drinkers get drunk. But let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love, and wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. For God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out His anger on us, Christ died for us, so whether we're dead or whether we're alive, when he returns, we can live with him forever. So encourage each other and build each other up just as you're 
already doing. Dead or alive, it's all the same for believers. We can live with Him forever. So I'm going to ask you, when I read that, did that encourage you? So I'm going to do a hypothetical. It's a hypothetical. So let's do the hypothetical this way. Let's say that tomorrow afternoon, Monday afternoon at 4 o'clock, there's going to be a loud shout, the voice of the archangel, and a trumpet blast. And the dead in Christ are going to rise. And those of us who are believers at that moment are also going to go with them to meet the Lord in the air. There we shall be with Him forevermore. Okay, tomorrow afternoon, 4 o'clock. Do not go out of here and tell somebody I said Jesus is coming 4 o'clock tomorrow. It's a hypothetical. I always make a point when I do this. All right, so here we go. The reason I do that, does that make you say, oh no? Or does that make you say, oh yeah? And this is real. Everything prophesied that needed to be done before He comes has taken place. I'm not telling you He's coming tomorrow. He might be today. And He's going to be a thief in the night to those of you who have rejected this. But He's not going to be a thief in the night for those of you who have received it. Because you're going to say, instead of Where's this coming they've been talking about? You're going to say, I thought you'd have been here by now. <laughs> Grow up. Work hard. Beware of false teachers. He's coming. If you know that, if you've read this, how now should we live? Because that's the next verse in Peter's teaching. Next verse, verse 11. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this. He has just told us about the fire of judgment that's coming upon the earth. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live. Looking forward to the day and hurrying it along. Looking forward. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And hurrying it along. On that day... Listen, look what we're hurrying along. Look at what we're looking forward to. And I'll talk to you about that in a moment. On that day, he's going to set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames. We should live godly lives in pursuit of holiness, not self-centered pleasure. We should be looking forward to his coming. In some way, this anticipation lifestyle hurries it along, he says. The Apostle Paul says a special crown of righteousness will be given to anyone and everyone who longs for his appearing. If you're in the room today and your heart aches for the coming of Christ, if you, if you long, if, you, if you, your greatest thing in life is that he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. Here's what he offers. Paul writes it, 2 Timothy 4. And by the way, when he writes this, he's about to have his head cut off. And now a prize awaits me. The crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize, this crown of righteousness, is not just for Paul, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Is that you? So here's the question. 
How can we look forward to the day when he will set the heavens on fire and everything's going to be burned up? Is that morbid? I mean, is that kind of crazy? How can I look forward to the day when he's going to set the heavens on fire and the elements are going to melt away in the flames? How can I look forward to that? Why? Because that's when we get the new one. Do you understand? We're not going to get the new heaven and the new earth until this old one passes away. It's another part of his promise. 2 Peter 3.13. Next verse. Next verse. But we're looking forward to the new heaven. Amen? We're looking forward to the... I think there was three people said amen. (laughs) We're looking forward to the new heaven and the new earth. He has promised a world filled with God's righteousness. Peter and John both described this new heaven and new earth. Can our heart, our mind comprehend it? That what he's got planned for us? A new world that will be filled with God's righteousness. Why? Because Satan will be in hell and Jesus will be in Jerusalem. The new Jerusalem. Can you imagine it? Finally, Peter challenges us to remain faithful while we wait for Jesus' coming. Verse 14. And so, dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen... See how clear this is? Dear friends, while you're waiting for him to come, make every effort, there's that work hard again, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. And remember, the Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. So we're preaching the gospel all the time, right? This is what our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom God gave him. Speaking of these things in all of, the, in all of his letters, some of his comments are hard to understand, and those who are ignorant and unstable have twisted Paul's letters to mean something quite different, just as they do with other parts of the Scriptures, and this twisting of the Word of God will end with their destruction. Don't do it. Has anyone noticed there's a lot of destruction in these last two messages? Because I have. False teachers, and today, heaven's coming. Wait for it patiently. Wait for it with wisdom. But here's the proclamation of truth. Hell's coming too. Destruction's coming. Don't wait for it. Today, I tell you to flee from God's coming wrath. Flee. So here's the closing. Peter closes out his letter with a warning. Peter doesn't want anyone to be lost in hell, and neither do I. So here's his last two verses, 17 and 18. I am warning you ahead of time. See how clear this is? I am warning you ahead of time, dear friends. Be on your guard so that you'll not be carried away by the errors of these wicked people and lose your own secure footing. Rather, you must grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All glory to Him both now and forever. Amen. There's His letter. Do you believe this stuff? Have the scoffers gotten to you? Has the spirit of Antichrist gotten to you? Have the false teachers gotten to you? Or has the Word of God gotten to you? So here's my closing. I read all of that, and I try to bring it down to something in our generation, and here's what I came up with. 280 years ago in America, 280 years ago, that's not my generation, I'm about 280 years old, 
but in the American culture. 280 years ago, it's called the Great Awakening. It happened in 1741. There was a preacher named Jonathan Edwards. And he gave a famous emotional sermon, and it's titled, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. I encourage you to go online and read the sermon. News about that message spread quickly throughout the colonies, and something happened that was connected directly with Jonathan Edwards' sermon. He preached that sermon up in New England colonies, and a great awakening began across, spread across the entire nation. People began to repent of their sins and turn to God. What do you think was in that sermon 280 years ago that caused the nation of America to repent and turn to God? Edward's sermon was based upon a single scripture. I want to read it to you. It's Deuteronomy 35, 35 where God says, I will take revenge. I will pay them back. In due time, their feet will slip. Their day of disaster will arrive, and their destiny will overtake them. In that sermon, and again, I encourage you to get online and read that sermon, Jonathan Edwards. In that sermon, he paints this visual image of this. We, and let's do it today in this room, we are all hanging by a thread, a very thin line, each one of us hanging by a thread over a great fire of God's judgment and wrath, the fire of hell. We're hanging by a thread over this great fire, and our feet are slipping. That's us. That's mankind. And underneath of us is the hand of God. We're hanging by a thread. Our feet are slipping. But underneath of us is the merciful hand of God. And those who receive the truth of God by placing their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ will be held by this hand forever out of the fire. Okay? I'm hanging by a thread. My feet are slipping. The hand of God is under me. He offers me truth. I receive truth. His hand takes hold of me, lifts me out of the fire, safe forever. But those who reject the truth, those who hear the truth and refuse to believe the truth, will be released. He will withdraw his merciful hand. He will pull it away. And your feet that are slipping will not be able to hold you. And the line will break. And you will fall forever into the darkness of God's judgment. He's coming. You see, the reason I tell you that story is nothing's changed in 280 years. It's the same story, and you're in that story, and I'm in that story. And that story caused a great awakening. Because when you see what those people saw, that, that we today are hanging by a very thin line over this eternal fire of God's judgment, and our feet are slipping. I, can't I don't have the energy or the power to stay out of the fire in God's hand of mercy gives us a wait-a-minute moment to receive the truth. But if I reject the truth of His Son, His only begotten Son that died to save me from that fire, if I reject it, He will simply remove His hand and I will fall. That, my friends, is the Apostle Peter's letter. Grow up 
work hard. Beware of false teachers. He's coming. And what will you do today with his witness testimony? What will you do? Because everybody's going to decide what you're going to do with this. And if you're in the room today and you say to me this, you know, preacher, you keep talking about his coming and everything has been the way it has been ever since 2,000 years ago. I'm going to say, no, 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 you're wrong. 73 years ago, Israel went into the land. And I know the Old Testament prophecy, and I'm going to tell you, I hear dry bones rattling. I do. 54 years ago, Israel raised a flag over the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. I hear dry bones rattling. That one happened in my generation. And today I say, Baruch Ababa Shemadonai. Chad, come on out for the invitation. Baruch Ababa Adonai. He didn't say, you're never going to see me again, you Jews in Jerusalem. He just said, the next time you see me in Jerusalem, you're going to know who I am. The next time you see me in Jerusalem, all you're going to say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So today we stand in God's way at a minute moment. And today, are you ready? I don't know when it's going to be. I don't know whether it'll be this year, next year, 20 years from now. I don't know. Because I don't know, what should I do? I'm going to live like it's today. I'm going to make myself ready today. Anybody hear any dry bones rattling? It's what it means when he takes you out of the grave and he gives you life. <sighs> he breathes breath into you. You stand up. Without that breath, you will not survive. The invitation's open. Let's stand.